Welcome to this week in Jacksonville Business Edition. I'm Kent Justice. This podcast, we focus on economic development of the River City and really throughout our region. So joining me today, Steve Atkins and Matt Carlucci. Mr. Carlucci, City Councilman for Jacksonville, Steve Atkins, Southeast uh, Development Group. And so we're talking about Laura Street Trio. This is a topic mm -hmm. that we've even touched on previously on the podcast here. Right. But Steve, just to help people if they don't really know, how would you describe the area, the project, and then where we stand? And we'll, we'll go from there. So, uh, first of all, Kent, thanks for having us. Yeah. Uh, we appreciate it. Uh, this, it's an important project. It's uh, one that uh, folks have followed for years. Uh, it's it's in, located in the epicenter of downtown Jacksonville, the, the real core. So uh, that's Laura Street? Laura and Street and Forsyth yeah. and Bay. Uh, so it's about a half a city block, uh, right, you know, uh, two blocks south of City Hall and two blocks north of the river. Why do we call it a trio? Three buildings. Exactly. Uh, the first of these three buildings was the first building or one of the very first buildings built back after the Great Fire in 1902. The other two towers, uh, one is the Bisbee Building, it was built in 1908, and the Florida Life Insurance Company Building, which is the tower that faces Laura Street, built in 1911. Uh, very important from a historical context, not just for our city, but for North Florida. Uh, what, what's the important historical part of this? Yeah. And, and Councilman Carlucci, you and I have talked about this. This is important to you as well. Uh, we're definitely talking about the development part. Why don't you jump in here? Why is this important for Jacksonville? Well, it's because these buildings uh, and the people that took a chance on um, uh, sweeping away the, the, uh, uh, the dust and the ashes from the fire right. took a chance yeah. on Jacksonville. And these buildings help set the direction of Jacksonville's future up to this point. And if they're redone, they're going to help set and reset our future again. They're the gift that keeps on giving if we get them redeveloped. Yeah. It's important to honor our past. It's important to honor the people who built those buildings. Uh, and those buildings have architectural features that you can't find anywhere else. They are three of the most historically important buildings in Jacksonville or, or, or in the southeast and certainly in Florida. Uh, nobody else has a trio of buildings like that, and that brings an authenticity to Jacksonville and to our downtown. So, and they will be contributors to our economy 365 days a year. Uh, so, and, and they're right smack dab in the middle of yeah. the downtown core, which has had little to no action for so long, and, and Steve is has been working on this diligently yeah. for a long time, but it's a tough one. It's a tough one. So, Steve, let me bring you back in on that. Uh, you own the property. You've been trying to redevelop it. For a while. Uh, it's, am I right? Has it been a decade? Is it 10 years or longer? Um, just over 10 years. Um, we actually bought those three buildings along with the Barnett Tower across the street. And uh, we had to decide early on what was going to go first, uh, what we were gonna, how we were going to uh, tackle this overall adaptive reuse program for the buildings. We needed a place to set up a crane for the, for the Barnett Tower, so the trio lot became the, the obvious uh, location for the crane and, and a place to lay down materials and so forth. So we, we started with the Barnett Tower. We when, did, when did you start on that? We That's started that in 2017, okay. and it yeah. was delivered in 2019, uh, right at the beginning of COVID. Yeah. And Good timing, Steve. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> and so uh, that was, although it was in the middle of COVID or the beginning part of COVID, um, it was very successful. Yeah. And uh, we went to 100% occupancy on the multifamily component within four months. And of course, we have a great group of uh, commercial anchor tenants, one being JPMorgan Chase uh, and their representation in downtown with their flagship 
Uh, the Jacksonville Business Journal has its home office in the Barnett Building, and we have a satellite location for the University of North Florida. So it's, a, it's really a successful project, a great example of what adaptive reuse um, can mean for downtown and, and reactivation. So uh, unfortunately, uh, moving forward with the trio at that time in the middle of COVID was economically wow. infeasible. Yeah, that, um, that was too steep a challenge. Or too it was, and because the main part of our program at that time was a hotel. And as you recall what was happening with hotels during COVID, right. that, that kind of precluded that effort. So as the um, COVID crisis waned, we decided that we did want to move forward. The property is too important not to redevelop, um, but what we had to do was modify the program. And that, that allowed us to come in with another component, more multifamily. So the project as it stands right now is a mixed-use program. It's anchored by two major components. One is an autograph collection hotel by Marriott, and we can talk more about that specifically, but also a, another 169 multifamily units with approximately 30% of those in the workforce category. So it's, it's a project that is uh, geared to be a 24-hour node of activity for downtown, right in the middle of downtown. Um, Marriott, um, we've had the franchise now for several years. They're very excited about the project. They, um, we don't have anything like this particular type of program in Jacksonville. It's a four-star boutique. Uh, it's going to kind of fill that gap in our market between what you might see at the Hyatt and maybe the Four Seasons. So it's kind of in the middle. Um, it's only 143 keys, but it'll have three different restaurants and bars. And so we're excited about it. Um, Mar uh, Marriott's talk, very excited. You're talking about Marriott's excited about it. They'd yeah. probably be more excited if the project was moving forward. They're, so they're of, very anxious. Yeah, they're, I'm, they're, I'm, sure, I'm sure you are too. Absolutely. And that, that, that's part of uh, why I thought, hey, let's, let's talk about this. Mm -hmm. Let's get to the beginning of the year. Let's talk yeah. about this. Because when we last spoke about it, and we talked about it on our show, and we had... Lori Boyer here from DIA and whatever. Hey, this is this is exciting. Looks like we're going to take mm -hmm. steps forward. But then in in City Council here just a, a couple of weeks ago, right? Uh, it it certainly seemed to feel like yeah. uh, the roadblocks were put up again. Uh, yeah. Councilman, why don't you explain what was going on there? DIA, the Downtown Investment Authority. Uh, they sent the project over, but not with, uh, hey, you should do this. How would you explain to people what was happening there well, and City Council's eventual response? Yeah, well, what I did is, is sponsoring the bill uh, with this redevelopment agreement. I put it out on the table for everybody to look at. Uh, certainly, the developer knew that uh, there would need to be some changes made in response to Council concerns. If the, 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 but the response to the Council was not at all surprising to me. Actually, I felt the council was very positive and said, look, we need to find a way to get to a yes because that's how important these buildings are. And we understand the heart and soul and the blood and sweat and tears that my good friend Steve has put into this effort. And so I think when the meeting was over with, everybody had a chance to hear what everybody said. And that kind of allows Steve to know what maybe some of the expectations are. And, and he's going to keep trying to find a uh, development agreement that everybody could agree to. But I got to tell you, we got to play some give and take here. And, um, and uh, I, I'm just tired of hearing people parade the horribles. And uh, because there's nothing horrible about it. And it's what do just, you mean by that? Well, Focusing on yeah, what possibly could go yeah, wrong? What, what could possibly happen than... here? What could possibly happen? And all of these plausibles and possibilities are based on if it just completely falls apart. And it won't. He's got a good track record with the Barnett. Mr. Atkins can 
can complete this deal. But there are some things that need to be changed, and he's addressing that. I commend the council president. He gave a good, fair, open hearing, uh, Council President Salem, so that, uh, you know, everybody had a fair chance to say what they wanted to say. Uh, but I have to tell you, I got to the point after the meeting, or, or towards the end of the meeting, I just said, look, damn it, let's quit parading the horribles and let's find ways to get to the yes. Let's find solutions. And I think everybody yeah. kind of came together around that. We, we had uh, Council President Salem on our Sunday morning show this last week. And that was one of the, the yep. things I brought up was Laura Street Trio. And he said, Kent, it's just a matter of uh, we feel like too much risk. Uh, and Steve, you and I were talking before we started mm -hmm. our broadcast today. Um, how much risk is involved, your perspective, right. and what are you doing to try and mitigate those risks or push back against uh, leaving the city liable for right. a lot of money if things were, went wrong? Yeah, well, no, no project is without risk. Yeah. We all know that. Yeah. Um, and But what we try to do is put together a financial structure that is, you know, is appropriate in the spirit of a public-private partnership, but also is... Uh, is it recognizes and and has certain protections for the city as well as for the developer so um, what we did in terms of putting together a capital stack was we went to the markets uh, in New York uh, and were able to secure a term sheet for 150 million dollars uh, the project in total is 175 we would put in 25 million dollars in equity and the rest of it would be financed with uh, capital one public funding that $150 million uh, in loan would break down to about 128 in senior debt and about 22 as a bridge for the funds that the city would put in under the DPRP program. That's the, the funding that the city can put forward as an incentive to help restore historic DPRP, properties. DPRP, just help people understand the action. Yeah, D DPRP stands for Downtown um, preservation and revitalization program. And, and obviously that's a, a, a key component. That's what the councilwoman was just talking about. That's right. one of the reasons Laura Street Trio is so important because we do preserve this, this history. These buildings uh, more than a hundred years old. Mm -hmm. But I would imagine, Steve, that as a developer that creates some challenges as well. It, it, as mm -hmm. I understand it, you're the expert, as I understand it, it's probably more expensive to uh, rehabilitate these structures than just to start from scratch, oh, much, is that right? Much more. Yeah. Uh, and, and one of the things that most folks don't quite get and understand, particularly about this project, um, historic preservation is expensive, and certainly there are certain risks associated with that. We, we had those experiences with the Barnett Building across the street. Um, having the proper team in place is really how you mitigate those issues and, and are able to overcome those things. What's unique about the Lower Street Trio is you have uh, two of the three buildings are towers and have a very, very small footprint. If you can think about how skinny those buildings are from when you look at them from the outside, literally the floor plates of the Florida Life Building, as an example, are less than 2,000 square feet. Um, there is not any program that you could put in that property that would make enough money to pay for that property to be restored. So you're already kind of at the lower part of the mountain when you get started uh, with, with certain challenges ahead. Now that's what you have public incentives for, and that's what the DPRP program is certainly helpful in doing. Um, does it get you all the way there? No. And, and that's why um, we had to look at certain other uh, incentives in terms of whether that be 
a gap financing or, or so forth in order to kind of complete this capital stack to get done. What Capital One was willing to do was fund everything 100% up front with a, uh, a private bond placement. Uh, that means we would take the entire $150 million at once at the front end. That's expensive. You have to obviously invest some of that money just to cover the interest associated with that. What Capital One wanted uh, in addition to uh, our guarantees was a debt service reserve fund set up by the city. And that debt service reserve fund was a total of $22 million. And as you explained to me, that was one year and then another year. It was of two years' worth of debt service. Um, and when we presented that uh, and talked about that with the city, a lot of the feedback that we got was, well, that, that sounds okay, but we need some clawbacks and we need some participation from the city. So therefore, what we did was we put in place within our um, agreement with Capital One that if we ever had to tap the debt service reserve fund, now, keep in mind, we may never tap it. But if that's, we did, that's the goal, right? That's the goal, obviously. <laughs> that's, that's what you hope for. But if it ever got to, a, to get to a $22 million draw, the city would actually be in first position to take the project completed, complete project. Uh, so they were in first position uh, on the real estate. In addition to that, uh, and in exchange for that, what we also did was we committed 12% of the revenues off the top before any investor, before any developer, anybody gets any cash or revenue stream, the city would get 12% back. To be, it could be used as at the city's discretion. Um, in, in addition to the interest that would be earned on the debt service reserve fund that they could sweep each year. And then finally what we offered was a 5% uh, premium to be paid back to the city if we ever refinanced or sold the property during the course of you know the life of the loan. So it's interesting, and I don't mean to cut you off, but Steve, it's interesting. So from an outsider, from somebody, this isn't my my professional world. Boy, I hear uh, so many complaints uh, at times from people. Oh, a city's giving away potential revenue because of these public-private partnerships. Right. <laughs> it sounds like what you're describing here is yeah, there's there's a, a basis for a municipality to say, yeah, well, uh, you know, sometimes it's tax incentives or, right. or uh, upfront money, like right. that. but there's a benefit to the city as well. There is, and that's why we felt like what we had was a strong proposal and one that I felt like the city would, would uh, be amenable to. We did get a lot of positive response from folks at council. Um, this is somewhat novel for Jacksonville. We've never done anything like that quite like that here. There, it is the essence of a true public-private partnership. Uh, you know, there's give and take on both sides. But it was just not met positively with uh, DIA and, and, um, and the council auditors. So we've gone back to the market. Uh, we heard what everybody said. Uh, we're exploring different options, whether that be, um, you know, backstop for the city's exposure or if it's a different structure altogether. Um, the markets are very challenged right now. We're still in that economic cycle. So it's gonna be uh, a heavy lift, but um, they are actively working this. My financial team is actively working this right now. So I'm hopeful, uh, as, as Matt said, uh, to be able to come back and provide some additional, um, you know, additional options for the city to consider. Because this project's too important. We've gotta get it done. Um, you know, downtown should be thriving right now uh, with lots of cranes in the air, and, and it's not. So, Councilman, this is something we've talked about as we've gotten to know each other over these years. Yeah. Um, you feel like there should be a commitment to revitalizing uh, downtown even more than just 
let's preserve some things, you want to see some growth there. Well, they go hand in hand because historic buildings add a marketability uh, to those buildings and also uh, 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 the ripple effect is more buildings in the area to be readapted and restored. Uh, but this is the linchpin to our downtown core. Nowhere in Jacksonville pro uh, 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 um, provides more tax revenue block per block than a vibrant downtown. And our downtown is not doing that right now. So there's a lot of reasons to do it. But historic preservation is something that I love. Uh, and by the way, there's not a lot of craftsmen that can do this kind of work anymore. That also adds to the expense, and Steve has a good team of people that know how to do that. Uh, but the, the historic flavor, the authenticity, uh, the looking back to the past to prepare for the future, and the tax base being enriched like it is in Charlotte just pumps the money out so that the suburbs can eventually uh, benefit from the tax dollars generated by the downtown core. And so we talk a lot about the downtown, but sometimes it's a sports and entertainment area. That's not really downtown to me. In Brooklyn, that's included in downtown, but that, that's not the core. It's important in the sports and entertainment support, but the, the, the donut hole, that's the core. We gotta fill it up. This project will do more to make that happen that I think any project in Jacksonville's history, and I believe they will propel us like they did back in the 1900s, where they showed a city that was not willing to give up, and we're not willing to give up now, and we're gonna move ahead, but that's gonna be a big part of it right there. Steve Atkins, let me ask you, uh, after that uh, council decision to send it back to DI, basically to reject the proposal uh, and say, right. let's, let's do yeah. more. You made some comments after that, uh, that some I think interpreted as maybe a threat because what I heard you say, I think you were talking to Jim Piggott from our, our station, but right. I think what I heard you say was, I, I don't know what's gonna happen uh, and implied that, well, maybe it's better to tear them down. Was that emotion talking or was that, hey, I've gotta yeah. consider all my options because I'm the property owner here? What is that? Well, it was, uh it was reactive uh, because uh, what it had to be emotional hearing that. At oh, Council. it was it was extremely emotional um, for for a lot of us. Uh, I had my entire team fly in from around the country to be here. Uh, our financiers were watching it on live stream, so they had a lot of questions. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't probably our city's finest hour. Um, now, having said that, um, there is a reality of you have to do something at some point. There's there's millions of dollars at this point that's been invested and we've yet to turn a shovel of dirt. So, um, you know, as a business person, you have to look at, okay, well, what, you know, what are the options? Um, no one wants to tear the buildings down, especially me. I bought the properties because of what Matt talked about, how important they are and what they could mean for our city. I'm from Jacksonville. I grew up here. I live here. My business is here. Uh, it's important for me to see this through. Um, I, you know, would be the last person that would want to ever do something that's not uh, appropriate in restoring those buildings. That's why we, that's why we're making the efforts that we are. But at some point, um, you know, it's been presented to me multiple times by different investment groups to say, well, you know, maybe you keep one building or you don't, you know, or you take down down the towers. Nobody wants to do that. I mean, I've, I've fought for that for years. So, um, I appreciate the question. I, um, I, I'm certainly, it was certainly not meant to be a threat. It was certainly uh, a reaction to, well, if we can't get something done, you know, th at some point there's gonna be safety concerns we're gonna have to address. 
Yeah. Well, and that, that was what I brought up with the mayor a couple of weeks ago on our Sunday morning show is what I brought up with the city council president is, uh, hey, this it seems reasonable after 10 years yep. of owning and trying and, yeah. and working on this to have a certain level of frustration. Let, let's maybe wrap up here. Uh, Councilman Carlucci, do you have some... Um, optimism about something happening and, and how soon is it in this next year? Absolutely. Or is going to wait another 10? Absolutely. Uh, we, 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 we need to have faith in our future here. Uh, we're going to make this happen and I believe Mr. Atkins will be the developer. And by the way, to his credit, his developments in this one to be all include affordable housing, which is one of the biggest deals in Jacksonville right now. I don't know of any other developments in the downtown core because there's not much going on in the downtown core that lends itself a certain percentage of their units to affordable housing. So that's real important. Um, but uh, we're gonna make it happen. I mean, I, we're not gonna roll over. We could have rolled over. It'd been easier to roll over in 1902 when they built the Marble Bank building yeah. than, than now. It'll happen and we're gonna help yeah. Mr. Atkins, his team in Jacksonville and our people to, uh, to see this done yeah. and enhance our quality of life. And we just gotta have faith in the future. Well, and Kit, I have it. Kids, I've had. Yeah, you yeah. Have final word on this. I want yeah, to hear your I, inspirational speech here. Well, <laughs> uh, it, it's too important not to have happen. I'll say that to, as a as a start. I'm I'm very encouraged by the messaging and the outreach that the administration's made, uh, as well as a number of the council people, uh, even after the meeting last week, um, and said, you know, don't give up. We got to get this done. Let's work together to to, to make sure that it does get done. Uh, we're going to do everything within our power to see that that happens. Yeah. I appreciate it. I know this is a, a, an issue clearly both of you are passionate about. And I think as people hear more about what it is and what it means uh, because of its history, uh, that other people are probably be on board too. I want to say thank you, Steve Atkins, Matt Carlucci. Thanks thank so much. You. Thank you for and we are, me on. we are constantly working to bring you more interviews like this focused on economic growth in our region. You're going to find more episodes right now, including on News for Jacks Plus. But thank you for joining us for this week in Jacksonville Business Edition.